Well, good morning, church. I'm so glad you're with us as we are going to continue our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and today we are going to discuss kindness. Kindness. Uh, can you imagine that God has given us the spirit of kindness? The Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit is implanted in your heart. It's unbelievable when you consider that. And as I begin this sermon, I wanted to tell you a story that I had personal knowledge with, and that involves Larry Thompson, who was the pastor of the Fort Lauderdale First Baptist Church. And I know, knew Larry well. My son worked with him there in that church for a number of years, a terrific man, a godly guy. And one day, Larry was at a McDonald's, and he's standing in line to place his order, and he sees in front of him a man who's clearly a, an inmate from a prison who has been released, and he sees the inmate go up and, and give a voucher to the clerk for food, and the prisons over there would give vouchers so that they had food when they were released. Well, McDonald's, the, the gal at McDonald's said to the inmate, I'm sorry, sir, we don't accept those anymore. And Larry immediately stepped forward and said, oh, oh no, no, he's, he's with me. He's with me. I'll, I'll take care of that. And so he paid the bill. He didn't say anything more about it. He went out to the car, and as he put his key in the car, he felt the presence of an enormous human being behind him. And as he turned around, this large human being put his hand on his shoulder and said, I saw what you did in there. Well done. Well done. And as Larry took the key out of the car and turned around again, he disappeared. He disappeared. And Larry felt immediately this was an angel of the Lord speaking to him with a message. Well done. And so the point of this, the point of this message is that this is how God wants you to act. He wants you to act in kindness every day of your life. It needs to become an habitual act in your life. And so if patience that we did last week is a tough fruit of the Spirit, well, then kindness really becomes a tender one. It is interesting that Paul, as he writes about this, puts kindness right after patience. And perhaps that is because he both saw them as being part of love. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, where he says, Love is patient, love is kind. He made it very clear, and so it's, it's clear that in his mind, elements of love include patience and kindness. How appropriate. And so when you love people, you see, when you love people, you find it easier to be patient with them. And when you love people, you naturally are kind to them. Being kind is one of the most noticeable characteristics of a genuinely loving person. Now, what is kindness then? Well, I think the essence of kindness is being thoughtful for others even more so than for yourself in any particular situation. I think that's the ultimate essence of kindness. To be kind means to want to help others, to encourage them, to affirm them, to comfort them, to do something that preserves, uh, perseveres in their life, or even to help the, uh, benefit them in every possible way. Uh, in order to be kind to others, uh, I need to put myself in their shoes. 
How do they feel? What do they need? I need to think about that even as I reach out and act for them. What do they most want that I can do for them? Now, kindness seems very close to what Jesus meant when he said that we should do for others whatever we wish others to do for us. Now, kindness, you see, can be as simple as a pleasant word uh, or a caring smile. But more importantly, being kind, you see, means being willing to do something or to take some action that helps someone else, even if it doesn't help me, even if it is inconvenient to me. Uh, Kindness goes beyond duty. Uh, It means doing something you do not have to do, but rather choose to do. Uh, And so kindness goes beyond getting any reward. Uh, It means doing something you won't get paid to do. Uh, In fact, real kindness usually costs something and does not expect any reward for that action. You do what is kind for its own sake and for the sake of the other person. In that sense, kindness, you see, is its own reward. Now, in the Bible... Kindness is often linked with generosity. Uh, In fact, the word Paul uses often had that very sense. Kindness could mean often generously providing for another individual's benefit. That is biblical kindness. That leads us now to understanding the character of God, the very essence of the character of God as revealed in the Bible. Uh, As with the other items in the fruit of the Spirit, we may not quickly associate kindness with the God of the Old Testament. But in fact, I want you to know it is a very strong element of the character of God that is celebrated throughout the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, God is often praised for his kindness. There is a beautiful word in Hebrew, uh, and it's described as hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed, which is so rich in meaning that it gets translated in many different ways. Uh, Very often it is translated as love. Uh, It is an essential part of genuine love. When God acts with hesed, uh, it can mean that he exercises mercy uh, towards people who are vulnerable or are in great need. Uh, It is also close to compassion, which is another word often used uh, interchangeably here in the Old Testament. And so when God acts in kindness, it means God is being faithful to his covenant promises, paying careful attention to our needs, uh, and acting in generous and merciful love towards us, enormously providing for what we need in every aspect, blessing us for our benefit. This is the most incredible act of kindness that you see exhibited by God throughout the Old Testament. The most famous scripture on this issue is the last verse in the 23rd Psalm, where it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David wrote that psalm a thousand years before Christ would come to this world. Surely goodness and mercy 
will follow me all the days of my life. The very aspect of God himself walking with him. David, you see, was thinking of God as a shepherd who treats his sheep with incredible kindness, protecting and providing for them. A shepherd is committed to caring for his sheep, even at the expense of his own life. And so God will keep his commitment to his flock because God himself is the very essential nature of goodness and kindness. He does this because these are his covenant promises towards his people. Now, when Paul wanted to tell people in Lystra what the one true God was like, he focused on God's kindness. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, we see this interesting passage where Paul and Barnabas are there in Lystra and, and do some miracles. And as a result of that, these pagan people start to worship them as if they were gods. Uh, they'd never seen anything like this. And now uh, Paul and Barnabas rush out to correct this misapprehension. And the words there are, are quite poignant. Quote, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We, too, are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. There's the very nature of the kindness of God being exhibited to a pagan people. They didn't know who God was, but Paul was telling them, these very elements of kindness are being given to you by the God of the universe, the rain that falls on your crops, the development of crops, the fact that you have food, all of this is given to you by the generosity and kindness of the living God. Uh, and this becomes a critical point for people to understand that because this is how God introduces himself to us uh, and draws us to salvation. Now, Paul used, you see, this Old Testament language uh, here in the New Testament as he addressed these pagan people who had no clue whatsoever about the Bible and had no clue whatsoever about the living God. Paul was demonstrating to them how different uh, our God is from all the other small g gods that they worshipped. Paul was aware, you see, that the kindness of God was available to all people. And we know that. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. God does that. He displays his kindness to people who really do not worship him. That's part of his great plan. But Paul was grieved that as fallen sinners, we so easily reject this kindness and fail to understand that God's generosity of kindness and mercy towards us is meant to lead us to repentance and salvation. That's what this is about. God does this to you even when you don't know who he is because you will ultimately come to understand that this God is drawing you to salvation. Look at Romans chapter 2, 
verse 4, on this issue. Quote, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That's the very nature of it. Do you show contempt? Do you not understand? Does your heart now break for what God is doing for you? Because he's doing it for you so that he can draw you to salvation. That's the nature of the love of God through kindness. Now, when the kindness and love of God and our Savior Jesus Christ appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Since that is what God is like, then those who claim to know God and worship God must show him, must show him and demonstrate to him and demonstrate to a lost world that we honor those very principles. Now, there are several examples in the Bible where you can see the honoring of the kindness of God uh, in the lives of humanity, those that served God. First, the story of Ruth. And Boaz, this is an incredible story uh, in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth is a beautiful story of double kindness. Uh, you see the kindness of Ruth for her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, and the kindness of Boaz for both Ruth and Naomi. You understand that story. Uh, and in that story, uh, Ruth leaves her homeland. She's a Moabitess and moves to Israel to marry uh, this, this man, the son of of uh, Naomi. And after a while, uh, he's killed in a battle. And also shortly thereafter that, Ruth's husband also uh, passes away. Excuse me, Naomi's husband passes away. And so here they are, these two women, both without husbands, uh, and not, no means of taking care of themselves, uh, kind of lost uh, in a time in which Women like that really did not get along very well. Uh, and so uh, uh, the mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, wants Ruth to go back to the, her people. There's no sense for her to stay there. She doesn't know anybody. Go back to your people where you'll be uh, protected. Uh, and so Naomi prays for the Lord's kindness to be shown to her Moabite daughter-in-law. Uh, and as the story unfolds, God answers that prayer in an amazing way. First of all, Ruth, the daughter-in-law, shows amazing and self-sacrificing kindness to Naomi, her widowed mother-in-law, by refusing to go back to her people and leave Naomi alone uh, in where she's currently in. Uh, her outburst of loyalty, commitment, and conversion to the God of Israel is one of the most remarkable speeches that you will find anywhere in the Old Testament. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. I quote, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. Can you imagine this woman speaking to her mother-in-law like that, that she has so embraced her with kindness 
and love that she will stay with there to make sure that she's safe. Look, the, the doing the right thing often means incredible self-sacrifice. Um, and a sacrificial decision like this to stay there uh, with her mother-in-law involved tremendous kindness. Uh, and this becomes an example of the love of Christ in every way. I will stay here until death separates me from you. What an amazing act of self-sacrifice uh, and kindness. Now, as the story continues, Boaz comes in, and Boaz is an old man. He meets Ruth as she is gleaning in his field. And you know gleaning means that the, uh, the Jews were told to leave the outskirts of their field uh, untended so that those who needed food could go and harvest it. And so as he sees this woman, this young woman doing that, knowing she's doing it to take care uh, of her mother-in-law, his heart is touched. His heart is touched as, she, as he sees this great uh, act of kindness uh, that Ruth is doing. Uh, and so Ruth, in turn, in turn, expresses great relief and kindness to Boaz for what Boaz is doing. And so uh, as she does this, as she develops this relationship with Boaz, at some point, effectively, she asks Boaz to marry her right? because she needed a protector. And her mother-in-law also needed a protector. And so in this case, Boaz becomes like Christ, a redeemer and protector for these people. Uh, and I want you to recognize this, that, that here she is, this eligible young woman asking this older man to marry her. Now, you know, if we were in Naples, that might not be so unusual. We know why that happens in, in Naples. And it often relates to the nature of a wallet. But in those biblical times, she was making a significant sacrifice because she could have had a young, eligible husband. But she saw this man as a protector and a redeemer. Uh, and it's an incredible story as, in fact, she does marry her and he does commit to taking care of them. Both of them, Boaz and Ruth, model the kindness of God how God looks out for us and takes care of us. You see, this is how God behaves, and that is how his servants should behave. Uh, they did so in order to show enormous kindness to someone in dire need, exactly like God does for us every day of our lives. Now, another example that we can look to in the Old Testament is found in the life of David. And David had an incredible friendship between himself and the son of Saul, Jonathan. They were extremely close. They had a relationship that was really like brothers. And Jonathan knew that David had been anointed to succeed uh, his father. He knew this. And so Jonathan, at some point, asked David to swear lifelong loyalty to him and his family, no matter what would happen, because he knew that at some point, David would replace his father. Uh, and so you see, it is the very model of God himself stepping up and being there to, to put kindness uh, in the place of that relationship. And so after this covenant is made with the house of, of David, Jonathan says the following, may the Lord call David's enemies to account, meaning may you be protected, may you be anointed, may you replace my father. He truly loved David, you see. 
uh, as he loved himself. And so later on, when Saul and Jonathan were both killed in a battle, uh, David had become king of all of the tribes of Israel. And so David remembered that promise that he had made before to Jonathan. And so David asked if there was anyone still alive from the house of Saul uh, that he could bless. Was there someone who needed an act of kindness? And in fact, based on that, David came into contact with Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. Easy for you to say. Uh, This young man was crippled in both of his feet. He was lame. Uh, And so David renewed his promise that he had made to Jonathan, to this young man, based on that commitment and his kindness and covenant, Uh, really exercising the kindness of God. You look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7, and you'll see there where David says, don't be afraid, as he speaks to Mephibosheth. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? What an incredible act of kindness. He's giving him back all the land that his his grandfather owned, Saul owned, and he's allowing him to eat regularly at the the table of the king, restoring him to a place of primacy. You see, that is the incredible kindness of God being exhibited in the heart of David. This is what you have in your heart as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are several verses in the Old Testament that speak again about this issue of kindness. Look at uh, Proverbs 11, verse 17, where it says, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. When you're kind, you're benefiting yourself because God sees it and he benefits you. Look at Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. It's a sin to despise your neighbor, but you're blessed. You're blessed when you step out to help those in need. And then look finally at Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Can you imagine? Your act of kindness to the poor is effectively as if you were lending back to the Lord of the universe. It's astonishing how the heart of God works. It's astonishing that the Holy Spirit has implanted you with this spirit. You have the spirit of God through kindness in your heart. Now, perhaps the greatest, you see, the greatest example of kindness is the life of our Lord and Savior, uh, exhibited every day as he walked in this world, in every aspect of his life. Think of all the times that Jesus was interrupted by people that had great needs. Think of the woman who was bleeding, interrupting him on the way to an urgent medical emergency. Think of of the uh, situation where the parents brought their children to be blessed and the disciples refused to allow them to come into contact with the Lord because the disciples were looking out for their own 
interest. Look, look if you would, at the blind Bartimaeus, uh, who kept shouting over the crowd until Jesus finally stopped. Think of the Syrophoenician woman who would not take no for an answer. Uh, think of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet uh, at a meal and scandalized the host. Even in Jesus' excruciating agony on the cross, he was thinking of the needs of his mother when he told uh, the Apostle John, take care of your mother, and mother, this is your son. He did it even then. And even after the resurrection, as Jesus sits uh, on a sandy beach looking out at the disciples fishing, he realized that they were hungry and they needed to be fed and Jesus made them breakfast. How about that? Now, all of these examples, you see, of the kindness of Jesus were not done because he was just a very nice man. Jesus could often use strong words as he identified hypocrisy uh, from religious leaders, uh, and he called them out time and time again. But to the poor, you see, to the sick, to the marginalized people that everybody else pushed around, Jesus showed them great kindness, extraordinary kindness, time and time again, and gave great attention to their needs. Jesus crossed every possible social taboo in order to address these great needs with his kindness. Uh, he did this often by eating with those people and drinking with those people, even as he was criticized for that. That became the very kindness of our Lord. This needs to be really learned by us every day of our life. So if being a disciple of Jesus means that I have to follow his example, why do I so often fail to take the time to be kind to others in our daily life? Why is that? Well, often it's because you may be too busy. You don't want to be interrupted. You're interested in your own perspective. Sometimes it's because uh, I'm being self-protective. I'm concerned to put myself out in a place where I might be hurt, uh, and I don't want to be inconvenienced. Yet God's kindness should motivate you every hour of the day to reach out to the lost and to the marginalized. It's critical. Uh, look what, what God said in Matthew 18, verse 33, as he looked and gave the parable of the unmerciful servant. He said there, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? He's speaking to me today in these very words. Shouldn't you, John, have mercy just as I have had mercy on you? And then he says the same to you. Shouldn't you have had mercy just as I have had mercy on you? Uh, and so we, we need to be kind to others, you see, not out of some moral obligation, but we want to be kind to others because we are mirroring our Lord and Savior. We want to be just like Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. Jesus makes this perfectly clear, you see, in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, where he says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, 
and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What words these are from our Lord's. Be kind to your enemies. Never mind your friends or your family. Be kind to your enemies. Do good to them, because this is what God does. This is how God acts. Uh, and then your reward will be great. And I want you to understand something. We do this not for the reward, but we do it because we love our Lord and Savior. And yet God sees it, just as he saw what Larry Thompson had done in that parking lot at McDonald's. He sees it. And so when we consider, you see, uh, God's grace and kindness in relationship to one another, well, we see three things in particular, I believe. First, we see that God's kindness uh, is undeserved, absolutely. There's nothing that we have done in this world to deserve that kindness. Secondly, God's kindness is unearned. Even as it's given to us, we never can earn it. We don't do anything to earn that kindness. And finally, God's kindness, you see, should motivate us to be kind to others. That's the point. That's why he does what he does. He's expecting you to give it back out again to give it to the lost. He has given it his grace. He has shown enormous grace to you every day of your life. Why should you not give that grace and kindness to someone else who was lost? Here's the bottom line. Here's the practical here. We need to treat kindness as a habit of life. We know that it does not come naturally, uh, but it is a fruit of the spirit, and that's why God gives us this fruit. He understands that the natural condition of humanity does not have this fruit, but he has given it to you through the Holy Spirit. It grows within us. We cultivate it. We nurture it. And as we do that, it grows and becomes more uh, cultivated and evident in our life. These are the kind of things that we need to reflect daily as the habits of our life. Who can I thank today? Where can I give a smile today or a word of appreciation. What will I do if I meet someone in need? How can I be ready to give to someone who needs help? Who can I show the kindness of the Lord to? And these are the kind of words and expressions that should percolate in your mind that you should be ready to do as God brings you out through a lost world. Now, there are several places where Paul reminds us that we are to do everything in the name of the Lord. This becomes important. You're not doing it in your own name. You're doing it for Jesus. You're doing it because of Jesus. It is in the name of the Lord. You'll see that in Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This means that I am acting as though Christ were there with me as I do that. Uh, and through me, this is why I'm doing it. The other thing that we ought to remember is that when we act, uh, you see this, act as if the other person is Christ himself. He speaks about this in Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human masters. Look, we act like this to a lost world and give this grace and kindness, not because we're trying to impress those people around us. We're doing it because we're doing it as if we're doing it to Jesus himself. This is a directive. This is how we are to live. 
Uh, this should be the operational standard of our lives and the very ripening of the fruit of the Spirit. And so as I bring this message to a close, the, close, the practical for you is this. We need to develop a habit of kindness. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Uh, when you are kind to others, you will be happier yourself. It's a known fact. That kind of kindness makes yourself happy. And you wonder why some people walk around gloomy as all get out? Uh, because they're not giving of themselves to others. Uh, we need to compliment people, to tell them how much we appreciate them. Uh, there's so many people in the church that deserve compliment. You need to recognize them and tell them. Make it a point every day to reach out and compliment that. And set a goal for yourself every morning as you get up to be compassionate. Make that an ever-present goal of your life. And show appreciation. When, when people are around you and are affirming you and doing things that benefit you, show the appreciation of the Lord. A simple thank you can go a long way. And finally, smile more. Just seeing someone smiling as, I, as you encounter people who may be having a bad day raises their countenance and affirms us. This is such an important way to understand what God expects from us as God has called us to impact the lost world. This is how the world will know we are with Christ because the kind of kindness that we have as we exhibit it through our life, impacting the lost, will have reverberations, reverberations throughout this world in a mighty way. Church, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your message I thank you for, for the lesson of the fruit of the spirit of kindness. Father, I ask you today, embolden us. Let us be ever knowledgeable about this fruit. Let it grow in our lives. Let us reach out every day in kindness for a world that desperately needs us. Let us reach out in compassion and love and mercy, just as you did for us and Jesus did for us on the cross. Father, help us to be cognizant of this. Help us to be aware of this so that when we come across those in need, we will understand it and we will step out and we will mirror you in every possible way. Lord, I thank you for our people. I thank you for this message. And now we close putting all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.